And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the village inn. That night, some shepherds were in the fields outside the village guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terribly frightened, but the angel reassured them, do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. And this is how you will recognize him. You will find a baby lying in a manger, wrapped snugly in strips of cloth. And suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to all whom God favors. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Come on, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this wonderful thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They ran to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. Then the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary, Mary quietly treasured these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their fields and flocks, glorifying and praising God for what the angels had told them, and because they had seen the child just as the angel had said. Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We have seen his star as it arose, and we have come to worship him. Herod was deeply disturbed by their question, as was all of Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law. Where did the prophet say the Messiah would be born, he asked them. In Bethlehem, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. O Bethlehem of Judah, you are not just a lowly village, for a ruler will come from you, and you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod sent a private message to the wise men, asking them to come see him. At this meeting, he learned the exact time when they first saw the star. Then he said to them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. Once again, the star appeared to them, guiding them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They were filled with joy. They entered the house where the child and his mother Mary were, and they fell down before him and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Just like the song says, it really is a strange story, isn't it? It really is a story that doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you begin to look at the cast of characters and, and just the overall general idea of what the story is, it, it really is weird. I mean, sure, it looks normal on your front lawn, lit up at night, but in general, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You think about the perspective of Joseph and what he had been told in advance as to what would happen, and yet still on that night, it didn't add up. It didn't compute. There was probably still a disconnect as he thought about 
Is this really happening? Is this actually, I mean, is it possible that what I've been told is really going to take place? I don't know about you, but maybe, maybe if you've been a father, or when, you had, when, you, when your wife delivered or, and, and your firstborn came, you thought, just in general, why is God trusting me with this? I'm not sure he knows what he's doing. At least that's what I thought. And yet, Joseph's baby was so much more, and so much more significant, and had been foretold. And yet, he knew exactly what was going to happen, but on that night, he still had to unpack his mind. He still had to think through what this all meant and why it was happening the way it was. Clearly, it was a strange way for all of this to actually happen. But for us, even on Christmas Day, you know, we aren't necessarily celebrating the birth of the Messiah in our home, but we still kind of do the same thing. I mean, we know in advance, or maybe some of us ask for something in advance for Christmas. I don't know if any, anybody here remember the JCPenney wish book? They still do the JCPenney wish book. I don't know if they do or not. I used to go through, you know, the pages, and I would write down, and I would circle in the catalog, and I'd say, okay, on page 173, item F, and this is the color I wanted in, and all this, and I'd hand that to my parents, and, you know, the whole thing. And even on Christmas, you know in advance exactly what you've asked for. You're hoping to get it. You know what size of box it's going to come in, and yet you still walk over to the tree on Christmas morning, fully anticipating to get it. You take your package and you hold it and you look at it and you shake a little bit and you, you, you think you know what's inside, but you're not 100% sure. There's still a sense of the unknown. So as you, as you unwrap the gift, you open it up and, you know, I, I'm not one of these fine openers, so you just rip the whole thing open and, you know, trust that somebody will come behind you later and clean it up. And you still don't know what it is. I mean, anybody here would think that, all right, Brent got a whole stack of, Copy paper. That's exciting, isn't it? But then you pull the lid back. Wow. Wow. This is pretty cool. This is pretty amazing. It's not until you actually unwrap the gift and open it and look inside that you actually get to experience what that gift is. In a little bit, we're going to open up this box and unpack it, unwrap it, and look and see what's inside. But you begin to understand the idea of unwrapping Christmas and what it means to, to look at what the Christmas story is and how it impacts all of us. As we look at the gifts of Christmas, celebrating the arrival of Christ and his advent, we open up the gift of hope and what hope comes because of Christmas. We looked at peace and the peace we can have in our lives because of who Christ is. Last week, we were encouraged and celebrated the amazing joy and the wonderful joy, the abounding joy that comes because of Christmas. And this week, this week we look at love. And we look at the amazing love of God. It's not just a plain old everyday kind of love. It's not like I love Starbucks or I love the Miami Dolphins. I mean, this is a real love. This is a genuine love, an amazing love. And so this morning, we're going to look at the Christmas story, and we're going to unwrap it, and we're going to see not only how unusual this story is, because it really is kind of weird and different, but we're also going to see how amazing this story is. 
And we're going to see the, the most amazing part of the story is God's love and how he shows it to us during the birth of Christ. A little bit ago, I read from Luke chapter 2, but I'm going to choose to retell the story in a little bit of a different fashion. So here's the deal. We've got Mary and Joseph. This is Mary and Joseph right here, right? Everybody agree? Can we just say that this is Mary and Joseph, right? And what is this? Right, and they rode the donkey all the way to, you know, Bethlehem. Because there, there was a census, and they had to go, and they got to Bethlehem, and here they are, and there's Mary and Joseph, and they're just kind of chilling out. They're tired, so they lay down from the journey. <laughs> and then time came for her to give birth to her firstborn son. And this is her firstborn son. And what's his name? Jesus. Very good. If this is your first time to church, I can just tell you this. If there's ever a question asked, just say Jesus and you're probably going to be right, okay? So it came time for her to give birth to her first son. And her first son's name is Jesus. And so here they are. And, and quite frankly, um, Mary's doing all the work and Joseph has fallen asleep and fainted at the process. Um, and so here they are. But they aren't just like out in the open. They aren't out in the field. They were actually in a stable. And the reason they were in a stable is because there was no room for them at the inn. And so they had to find a place and, and, and be able to give birth at this certain place. And after being given um, birth, then they placed Jesus into the manger. At the same time, while this was taking place, an angel of the Lord appeared. Now this angel of the Lord showed up in the fields, and the fields were off in the distance just outside of the town of Bethlehem. And while they were out there, the angel ran across some shepherds. So here are some shepherds out here, and they're taking care of their flock, and they're doing their whole thing. And So the angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds and says, hey, look, wake up. I've got some good news for you. Matter of fact, it's the best news you'll hear all day, best news you'll hear your whole life. The long-awaited Messiah has come. Well, these guys are pretty afraid of, you know, and they're like bowing down and all this. The angel says, don't worry, don't be afraid. This is good stuff. And here's how you're going to find what I'm telling you to be true. Go to the city of David. Go down to Bethlehem. And in the city, you will find a baby wrapped in snugly cloths, sleeping, resting. This is the long-awaited Messiah. So the shepherds say, sounds pretty good. So they decide to come and they come over to Bethlehem. And of course, they wouldn't leave. I mean, they, were, they were on duty, so they would take their sheep with them. And they came, and they came to see whether or not this is truthful. At this point, Joseph has gotten out of his stupor, but Mary's tired, so she's going to lay down. She did all the work, right? So, at the same time, while this is all going on, when Jesus is born, a great star arose in the sky. And what happened while this star arose in the sky, there were a rose in the sky, a rose in the sky. Oh, Joseph got tired again. There we go. Out in the distance, in foreign lands, were these three magi, these three wise men, who were studying and looking. And, and history would indicate that the Old Testament prophet Daniel in Babylon had recorded all the signs to look for. And as they were looking and watching and monitoring, about the same time coinciding was this great star that arose. And so they traveled from this far and distant land, and they go to Jerusalem, the capital, and they say, we're looking for the new king of the Jews. And the king says, 
Hadn't heard anything about that yet. Didn't know I was being replaced. So they put the word out, and they said, oh, yeah, it's going to happen in Bethlehem. The star reappears. So then the wise men eventually show up at Bethlehem, and they show up to worship Jesus, and they bring gifts. There we go. They bring gifts, and they rode on a camel, of course. They're all tired. It's a long journey. You've done that, right? You pull an all-nighter for Christmas? Yeah. So, um, so anyway, You've got this scene that has been created in our mind, and these kings, these wise men from a foreign land come to worship a brand new baby boy. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't seem to, to, to be our way of doing things. But this is the way that Jesus was born. This is the way he was introduced to the earth, through something like this. It's common to us, but it's really a weird story. Think about a prince warrior who was coming to deliver people from the oppression of a government would be born like this, in a place like this, in an outpost, to some people who, I mean, all people are important and all people are valuable, but on the social status of the world, they weren't very high. What a strange way, what an unusual way but it's also an amazing way. It's an amazing story. You see, when you see the word strange and you see the word amazing, we have a tendency to think of two opposite things. Strange is a bad thing and amazing is a good thing. But when you look at their actual definitions, they're actually pretty close to one another. Strange meaning unusual or surprising and amazing that means causing great surprise or wonder. So here we look at this Christmas story, and it may be a little strange, but it's also an amazing story. What makes this story so amazing? This morning as we unpack Christmas, as we unwrap it and pull the wrapping back, as we open up the box and take off the lid, we're going to look at what makes Christmas so amazing. What is so amazing about this story? The first thing that's amazing as we look at this is the fact that God sent his only son. God sent his only son. Now, I have, I have two daughters, um, Graciela, who is three, and Sadie, who just turned two. And I, I cannot imagine my life without either of them. I can imagine about three hours on a Friday night without them, but I can't imagine my entire life without them. I, I love them, and in, in, in I just, it, I, if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. I can't imagine having just one and then being willing to send off that one for some other greater purpose, for people that quite frankly don't like me, aren't even thinking about me, aren't even looking in my direction. And yet that's what God did. It's not like he had 12 children to choose from and he chose his least favorite to go and do this mission. He had only one son he could have chosen anybody, anything to accomplish his purpose, but he didn't. He chose his one and only son to send. That's pretty amazing. The second thing that's unusual or strange about this story is the fact that Jesus would choose to leave heaven, that Jesus would give of himself his life, his livelihood, his luxury. I mean, this is the king. 
This is the king of all kings. He's in heaven. He's sitting on a throne. All adoration and worship and praise are given to him. Everything is at his disposal. And yet he chooses to give all that up to come and to walk in a broken world. And a lot of us look around and say, our world's pretty messed up. Well, it's been pretty messed up for a pretty long time. And even in the days of Jesus, an oppressive government, limited facilities and access, quite frankly, slavery and all different kinds of social injustices existed. And Jesus gave up everything that he had. He left heaven to come here. That's a little unusual. Another thing that's unusual, and this is pretty straightforward, a baby was born to a virgin. Okay, that, that's weird. It's only happened once. I mean, Adam and Eve were created, so they didn't necessarily have earthly parents, but since Adam and Eve, every single child was born not to a virgin, but to somebody else. I don't want to get into the science and all that behind it. I mean, you know, what, what was it Karen said the other day when a man and a woman love each other and they have a special hug? And, you know, anyway, so I'm really sidetracked right now. Sorry about that. But she's a virgin. How can she possibly have a child? Only by the miracle of God. Only by God choosing to place himself that he would be born through Mary. That's strange, right? That's weird, but it's also amazing. The next thing is, is that he would be born not just to a virgin, but be born in the home of a carpenter. You know, from all the, 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 the expectations of what this Messiah would do and everything that he was hoping to accomplish, surely he would be placed in the home of a religious leader, or he'd be placed in the home of a military general so he could grow up doing that, or he'd be placed in the home of a wealthy businessman, or maybe even he would be born into royalty. And yet he was born in the home of a carpenter, an admirable trade, a good trade, a decent trade, born in the home of a man of good character, but as far as influencing the world and changing the world, you wouldn't think it would come from the home of a carpenter. Beyond that, he was born in a stable, you know, a place where animals would be placed on cold nights, where the, the, the animals that were around the house, they didn't have a place to go, so at night when it got bad, they would stick him in this place called a stable. It's kind of like a barn, you know? Anybody here born in a barn? Was anybody here ever asked as a kid, were you born in a barn? Yeah, some of you were asked that question. And I would venture to say that none of us were born in a barn. Some of you may have been born in a house, but I doubt that any of you were born right there with Bessie right at your side going, you know, kind of licking her chops and wondering what's going on. Being born in a stable is very unusual. But they took it one step further. To communicate the story of God's amazing love for us, they took it one step further. Not only was he born in a manger, but he was placed, or not only was he born in a stable, he was placed in a manger. What's a manger? A feeding trough. I mean, you know, we, we fuss and argue about the five-second rule if you drop something on the floor. I mean, this is a box that animals ate out of. And yet they placed the Messiah in that box. I was told this before Grace was born. I was told, you'll never drive more slowly than when you drive home from the hospital with your firstborn in the car. 
and everybody else will never drive crazier than that very same drive. That's true. I've experienced that. I know that. You're just, you're, you're like shaking, you know, you're just so intent, you're 10 and 2, and everybody's a crazy maniac, and, and you're doing everything right, and you just switch, you know. So this is how protective you are of your own child, and they place their child in a feeding trough. The king of kings. That's pretty amazing. Another thing that's amazing is the announcement to the shepherds. You see, at that time, shepherds were kind of like the, the dregs of society. They were, they were above criminals and they were above slaves, but that's about as high as they got up on the food chain. Shepherds were, um, they were unclean. They, they were gone for weeks at a time, months at a time, taking care of the flocks. Um, they didn't want to scare their own livestock, so they blended in with them with the way they smelled and everything else. And so, so they would be with the sheep all the time. They never really, they were social outcasts because they didn't go to all the parties. They didn't get invited to anything because they were gone for great lengths of time. And yet God chose this group of people to announce you know, remember when Prince George, Prince George, Prince George was announced as on every single cover of every single everything everywhere. I guess they're having another baby, and that's already been announced, and they have photos and all this stuff. And and when Jesus was born, it was announced to a bunch of outcasts. That makes the story a little strange. Another thing that's strange about this nativity scene is these wise men, these guys who traveled from a foreign land. You see, for thousands of years, the people of Israel had been waiting for the Messiah. They'd heard all the stories. They'd heard all the prophecies. They knew it was coming. And they wanted it so, so badly. And yet when it happened, the only people that looked for him were foreigners. People that came from a distant land. It'd be kind of like this. Like if you ordered something for Christmas and you were waiting on it, and the FedEx truck pulls up to your house and makes a delivery and drops it off at your front step. And you'd been waiting for this, you know, for, for three or four days. You'd gone to Amazon, you'd bought it. It's exciting, it's awesome. This could be the best gift ever. And you go buy this gift every single day for three, four, five, six, seven days. Just ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. You were expecting it. You, you had the tracking number. You could follow the delivery and you never do anything with it. And so though finally... Nosy Nellie, the neighbor that lives across the street, right? She's been looking out through the window all seven days. She just walks across the street, picks up the gift, takes it home for herself. You say, well, that's not her gift. It was for me. I was waiting for it. But you missed it when it was delivered. That's how it was with the wise men. Those who were looking and those who were expecting and those who were hoping missed it. And it took foreigners to come from a distant land to point out that it had happened. Another thing that's strange about this story is that, quite honestly, it's, it's just counterintuitive. It just doesn't make any sense. This is not the plan, and I'm not saying I'm smart. I'm just saying, because uh, I'm definitely not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but this is not the plan that I would come up with. This is not how I would do it. If God had called me in the, in the boardroom and had the whiteboard up there and say, okay, let's come up with a strategy, this is not the plan I would have come up with. The song that Charbel sang Imagine what it would have been like if he had come as he deserved. With all the pomp and circumstance, with all the fanfare, with the celebration of the arrival of royalty. Or, or maybe the, the next general in this long line of military leaders. Or maybe the next great theologian that came out of the, the line of Pharisees that were in place. But God didn't choose any of those things. 
He chose a, something that just didn't make sense. And it wasn't very intuitive as far as we might be concerned. And the last thing that makes this strange or amazing is that it was unexpected. It was unexpected. For years, it had been hoped for. For years, it had been prayed for. But the reality is, this whole story was unexpected. You see, the shepherds didn't just instinctively go to Bethlehem. They had to be told. The wise men just didn't instinctively come from the east. They had to follow a star. While people were looking for it, they weren't ready for it. Christmas was unexpected. So all of these things make this story an amazing story, but the reality is the most amazing part of this story isn't in the characters. It's not in this cast. It's not in this location. It's not in this story. The most amazing part of the story is something that you can't feel, you can't touch, you can't draw, but it's something you can experience. The most amazing part of the Christmas story is God's love. God's love is the most amazing part of this entire story of Christmas. It's amazing what you do when you love something. You'd be willing to do things that you wouldn't normally think of. Perhaps, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not the best singer in the world, but I'm going to try and, and sing a jingle and see if you can finish this, all right? We're going to try this. <clears throat> all right, here we go. What would you do? You guys did so much better than first service. I'm just telling you that right now. What would you do for a Klondike bar? You remember those commercials, right? The old school commercials, they had people like act like monkeys, you know, cluck like a chicken, do different things to get a Klondike bar. More recently, it was things like you have to listen to your wife talk about bridge club for 10 minutes or you have to sit through this, you have to sit through a used car sales pitch or whatever, whatever it was. And then at the end of it, they celebrate and the confetti goes and all this and everything. Woohoo, you celebrate. You do. What would you do for a Klondike bar? Let's take Klondike bars out of it. What would you do for a new car? What would you do for a Starbucks gift card? What would you do for a Macy's gift card? What would you do for a new house? What would you be willing to do for whatever? Or maybe, let's not talk about superficial stuff, but let's talk about relationships. What would you do for your children? What would you do for your brother or your sister? What would you do for your wife? What would you do for your husband? What would you do for your parents? You've heard people say, I'd give my left arm for this. And they mean it figuratively. They don't necessarily mean it literally. But what would you be willing to do for something that you love? You see, you'd be willing to do something that'd be surprising, something that would be unusual, something that would be strange to others. Because what you might be willing to do for one thing, someone else might not be willing to do at all. But when we look at the Christmas story, we see how amazing God's love is. We see how overwhelming his love is. It's a love that you and I can't explain. It's a love that we can't fully understand, but it's a love that we can experience. So when we talk about the arrival of Christ and we talk about celebrating the love and talking about all the love that came with Christ, what is this amazing love? 
The first thing about this amazing love is that it's a humble love. It's humble. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2 writes these words. He says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. You see, the amazing love of God puts the needs of others and the hopes of others ahead of himself. He was willing to humble himself to leave everything that he knew in heaven and to take human form, limited. That's humility. That's being humble. In our premarital counseling that Amy and I went through, the pastor who was doing the counseling told us, you're going to have arguments, you're going to have discussions, you know, you're going to have intense moments where you don't always see eye to eye. It's what happens when you bring two different people who are, who are sinners together, that it's just going to happen. He said, but here's a tip. You will not eliminate your conflicts. You will not eliminate all of the issues, but you will help to mitigate some of those things. If you practice this, learn to outgive the other person. If you outgive of yourself to the other person, you'll find that you aren't as selfish and that the things that would have bothered you don't bother you nearly as much. That's a humble, kind of love. Christ outgave us by giving of himself. That leads us to the second point, the kind of amazing love that God has. It's sacrificial. The apostle, the same apostle Paul wrote in a letter to the church at Rome, he says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, Christmas, and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who was especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You see, we weren't looking for God. We weren't pursuing God. The reality is, is we were rebelling against God, and yet God was sacrificial. He gave up not just his position in heaven, not just his position on the throne, not just his limitless nature as the son of God, but he gave up his own life. The very breath that he breathed, the very blood that, throwed, that flowed through his body. Christ surrendered that. Christ sacrificed that. And it started at Christmas. The next amazing thing about this love is that it's unconditional. There are no strings attached. There are no limits to it. There's nothing that can keep us from experiencing the love that God has for us. Think about what Paul wrote later in that same letter. He says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christmas, because of the nativity, because of the way in which God chose to execute this strange plan, nothing can ever separate us from his love. Nobody, no circumstance, no thing can separate us. There may be times in our lives where we feel more distant from God, but it's because of where we are 
not because of where he is. There can be times in our lives where we may not feel necessarily as loved as other times, but it's because of how we're understanding things. His love is consistent and constant, and it never fails. God's love can never be separate from us. The next thing, God's love is inexplicable. Inexplicable. There's no explanation for God's love. We'll never really be able to fully understand it. Notice what Paul says, and this is a prayer that Paul had for the church at Ephesus. Paul says, I pray that you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Notice what he says. He goes, I'm praying for you that you would be able to understand how deep, how wide, how great God's love is for you. That's my prayer for you. But the reality is you'll never be able to understand it. It'll never compute It's at a plane and at a level that just doesn't make any sense. God's love can be experienced, but it can't be understood. The depth and the height and the width of his love, it's inexplicable. And the last thing about God's love is this. It's personal. A moment ago during the lighting of the um, Advent candle for love, Karen read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You see, God's love is for you. God's love is for me. It's not for an organization. It's not for a government. It's not for a population. God's love is personal. It's for each and every one of us as individuals. God loved you so much. It's personal. God was willing to go through all of this, to experience all of this, to tell this whole story because he loves you that much. If you've never experienced that love, I want you to walk out of here today knowing that God loves you you. And it's an amazing love. A little bit ago, I said, what would you do for a Klondike bar? But what would you do for anything? Do you love somebody enough to show the amazing love that God showed us? If you listen to the radio, you may catch 88.1 once in a while, way FM, and there's a song that's playing right now. Um, seasonally called um, How Many Kings by a band called Down Here. And in this song, they go through a series of questions. How many kings stepped down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? And how many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is torn apart? How many fathers gave up their sons for me? The answer to each and every one of those questions is simple. It's one. There's only one father who gave up his son. There's only one God who poured out his heart. There's only one great 
who became the least. There's only one Lord who left his home. There's only one king to step down from their throne. That king was placed in a feeding trough in an outpost of Israel nearly 2,000 years ago, born of a virgin to a carpenter earthly father and welcomed to this world by stinky, smelly animals and shepherds. That's what amazing love is. That's why this is a strange story, but an amazing story. A story that is true and a story that reminds us of how great God's love is. You see, Christmas reminds us that God's love is amazing. It's surprising. It's filled with wonder. And it's for you. Would you join with me as we close our time in prayer this morning? Out of respect for the moment, if you would, just bow your heads, close your eyes. Maybe it's your first time in church. You're really not sure. We're not going to come along and jump you with your eyes closed. But if you would, just in the reverence of the moment, just bow your heads. You see, this story of Christmas is more than a baby. It's about a Savior. We all need saving. We all need a rescue mission in our lives because of sin. And God initiated that rescue at Christmas because of his love and sending his son. We talked about the humility of Jesus and we talked about how he humbled himself. The verses immediately after that say that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And Paul wrote in another location that if you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you too can experience this amazing love that God has for you. If you're here today and you've never asked Christ to come into your life, if you've never placed your faith in him, I encourage you just in the the moment, the quietness, the stillness of this moment, it's not the magic of the words, but if you would just call out to God, that you would just admit that you need a savior because of the sin in your life. If you would, just acknowledge and say that you believe he is the Savior. If you would ask him to come into your life and to save you. If you would submit your life to him and call him Lord and give him control, he will do that for you today. For others who have maybe done that at another point in our lives, maybe today is a day when you just remember how amazing God's love is. Today to reflect and to think about not only does God love you, but he loves others around you who need to hear this love story. So maybe while we take time to think about the love of God and how amazing it is, we can also ask God to put on our hearts and minds someone else that we can share this love with, especially during this Christmas season. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that in these moments, Lord, that you might, you might change lives and hearts. God, that you would draw people close to yourself. Lord, that they would hear and see and experience the love that you have for them. God, that they would choose to turn their back and to, to repent from the world that they know and to believe on you. God, for those who have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that this would be a time 
when we think about your love, when we reflect upon your love. God, when we choose to embrace the amazing love you have for us. God, help us to find, to look for opportunities to share that love with others. Because that's what Christmas is all about. Heavenly Father, God, be with us during this time. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.